the end of the chapter, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 24 through 27, very end of the chapter. And we're going to talk about running your priority in the Lord. Let's come before the Lord and ask for his blessing in prayer. Father, we do come before you in the name of Jesus. Lord, we're grateful, Lord, to be in your care. Father, to be under your protection, Lord, to... Lord, just have confidence that your Holy Spirit has a hand upon our lives. And, Father, that you are directing us and guiding us. Lord, you know all the things that we're ignorant of, Lord. You know what's going on. And, Father, we're so grateful for that. We pray tonight, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would breathe life into us, Lord, each one of us. That, Lord, you'd speak to us specifically about issues that we're dealing with in our lives. And, Father, that we would receive instruction and encouragement from you, not from people or some guy's idea, Lord, but from you specifically, Lord, you would speak to us. Bless our time here, and Lord, bless our fellowship together. And Father, we pray your blessing upon Calvary Chapel, El Monte here, Lord Father, your your hand of goodness upon them. We love you, Lord, and we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Question, what is it that is truly, truly important in your life? Nothing, right? No. Answer, God knows. He is the one who knows what's important in your life and what's not. It's a moving target. Changes all the time. Unfortunately, chances are pretty good for myself that I spend a good amount, I don't know how much, but a good amount of energy and time, not to mention money, involved in the pursuit of one thing and another that have really little to offer from God's perspective, which is not good. Spinning my wheels. Wasted energy, wasted time. You can't waste time. Hey, Sunday is June 1st. Have you noticed? The year is gone. It is gone. Craziness. James 4.14 says, Whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow, for what is your life? It's even a vapor that appears for a little time and vanishes away. The church in Pasadena I serve with, we moved to Pasadena in 1986. It started in Alhambra. And I was 30 years old. Next year I'll be 60. That's pretty scary. (laughs) Words of sober truth. When you were five years old, do you remember summer lasted forever? Forever. And now you got time for a cup of coffee and maybe you can catch a movie. And that summer's gone. There's something that you need to do in your life. There is something that you need to do in your life and you need to be about it right now. Something of importance. Real benefits for you and for the people around you. Daylight is burning We were all born on borrowed time. This is the day that the Lord has made. What I need to do in my life is I need to bring all the craziness of my life more under God's control. I need to put myself in a place where I am more likely to follow his direction. I need to have every possible opportunity to hear his instruction. And I want to respond in the right way. I want God to set the priorities for my life, put things in motion the way they ought to be. For today, for this week, for this month, this year, what's left of it, for the rest of my life, whether I've got five minutes or 40 years, whatever the case may be. Now, these priorities of mine, right, they may or may not be on a literal list that I can look at every day. That's not a terrible idea. But the truth is, guys, if I'm engaged with the Lord like I need to be, if I'm listening to Him instead of listening to my own inclination, His Word is going to be my constant companion in thought and in conduct, then I will, even if my whole life turns upside down and everything goes haywire, which does happen 
from time to time, I will still have every opportunity to receive the benefit, to see his purpose in me accomplished, the, the situation that's best for me and best for everybody around you. You notice when you do what God wants you to do, how it's best for you, and it touches the lives of so many other people at the same time. How do I do that? Our brother was just sharing the importance of the Proverbs. Two days a week you guys are studying Proverbs. I'm impressed. Pretty cool. Proverbs chapter 9, verse 10 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. It's interesting that the, the fear of the Lord is linked together with the knowledge of God, because in order to have fear for the Lord, you have got to know who He is. You can't have fear for God if you don't know who He is. When I say know who He is, I don't mean know about Him. Because the streets are full of people out there that know about God. they got all kinds of information about God, but they don't know Him personally. That's the difference. That's the whole difference. Reverence is kind of an outgrowth of knowing the Lord personally. When uh, Reverence of His opinions and his, his viewpoint. You know, should I go see this movie? Is this something the Lord wants me to do? Should I be listening to this music? You know, should I have this attitude that I'm walking around with? Those kinds of things. You refer to God and you check them by Him. Someday... Everybody is going to have a heartfelt reverence for the Lord. Romans 14, 11 says, As it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow to me and every tongue will confess to God. The key issue is timing. Timing is everything. We need to be ahead of the curve on that issue, guys. We, we need to be the ones who willingly surrender our entire lives to God instead of, instead of finding ourselves in a situation where... The whole world is going to be humbled and judged in his presence. That means to be cultivating the fear of the Lord in my life. Hosea 10:12, great verse. So plant for yourselves in righteousness. Reap in mercy. Break up your fallow ground. The ground that doesn't grow anything, bust it up. Break it up. For it's time for you to seek the Lord until he comes and rains righteousness on you. Letter of 1 Corinthians is... the the ministry of correction to the church. Whole letter, cover to cover. It's with the Apostle Paul over and over. He's just correcting one thing after another. And these guys, written from the city of Ephesus, southwestern Turkey, about 56 AD. Paul spent a year and a half founding, as the Lord founded the church in Corinth. And you can find that in Acts chapter 18. There are, by the time he writes this letter, apparently other teachers and men of some authority in Corinth And at the beginning of chapter 9, Paul is again correcting the church concerning issues that have to do with the financial accountability for the servants of the Lord. Basically telling them, you know, it's been God's plan that the people who preach the gospel should live from the gospel, even though I don't do that, he says in the letter. And uh, he, he lays out these issues before them. As he changes gears at the end of chapter 9, he's offering a sort of broad encouragement to the church. And there's a couple of ways you can take it. You can either take it as an encouragement to go out and be sharing the gospel with people, or you can take it as an encouragement for you in your own life to love the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And with that in mind, he uses a metaphor from verses 24 through 27 in chapter 9 of athletic competition to make the point, okay, knowing Paul knows that there are these famous athletic games held in Corinth every year, like the Olympics. In Greece, they had the Olympic 
games that were held further north near Athens. And then they had the Corinthian games or the Ithmian games were down there by Corinth. And they were famous. They were probably almost as famous as the Olympics at the time. And so he uses these metaphors. Now, metaphors and similes and, and uh, uh, parables are used in the Scripture to help us, give us an aid in better understanding how the Scripture speaks to us. In this particular case, totally effective, I think, as the Scripture speaks powerfully to us on the issue of the location and the, the specifics of our priorities. So we're going to look at this Running your priorities in four sections. Verse 24, pace. Verse 25, prize. Verse 26, plan. Verse 27, point. That's it. As a follower of Jesus Christ, the example of Jesus Christ has crazy powerful impact upon everything in my life. From my conduct, the way I speak, words that I choose, the way I think, the liberty I give myself in the way that I think about situations and things. Jesus is the ultimate example. And as long as my attention is on him, I'm never in a lot of danger of not making the utmost effort in any situation. Pace, verse 24. Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may obtain it. Kind of interesting to me, the Apostle Paul poses this encouragement as a question, and in the way that he does it, it's almost as if to say, are you not getting this? Do, do you not know? Are you not catching this information here? Because you know what, folks? People don't get it. People don't get it. People who call themselves Christians. Many years ago, there was a, a Calvary Chapel in the city of Brea. And I knew the guy, met the guy who was a pastor there, didn't know him well. Uh, his name was Jim. I think actually the church is still there. I don't think Jim is. He was a pastor there. He went on vacation for a couple of weeks and he came back from his vacation and the elders and the leaders of the church wanted to meet with him, have a sit down. So they all got together and sat down with him and they informed him that they didn't want him to be the pastor of the church anymore. To which you can imagine, he was kind of, really? What seems to be the problem? And, you know, they were kind of, uh, you know, just vague. And it's, well, you know, it's, I don't know, it's this or that. Bottom line, when they finally got down to the thing it was that he did that really tripped them out that they just couldn't handle any longer, they told him, you know, Jim, you know, when you preach the gospel, you make people feel like they have to get saved. Are you kidding? Are you kidding me? That's what they told this guy. Is that the craziest thing you ever heard in your life? And they want to get rid of him because he makes people feel like they have to get saved. Hey, people are going to hell forever. The world is going to hell. People need to get saved. If I can, if I can place some emphasis on that, I need to do it. You guys, people don't get it. They don't get it. Lots of people. Now, brothers and sisters in Iran and Pakistan... They get it. They understand. They know that there's a cost to their faith. Right now today, in Syria, there are believers, Christians and their families, that have refused to be evacuated from the crazy, unbelievable civil war in Syria. And the reason being is because 
The hardship in the country has opened amazing doors for them to be able to share the gospel of Jesus with Muslims in Syria in a way that they've never been able to before. And they know that tomorrow might be their last day. Christians in China, they have no misgivings about what it means for them to walk with Christ. And so many other countries and situations, honestly, that I know nothing about. And even here tonight in this room, there are people in this room with us tonight that have counted the cost, who have turned their backs on the approval of men to walk in the Spirit of Christ and put Him first in all things. And as time passes, you guys, and the situation and the corruption in the church, in the Western world, the destruction that's taking place in the Church of Jesus Christ in the Western world, in the United States, in Western Europe, you see these things happening. You talk to professing professing Christians, people who claim the name of Jesus, and you have to qualify your words when you talk to them. No, 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 not not somebody who goes to church, a real Christian. I'm talking about somebody who's born a real, born again, washed in the blood of Jesus, filled filled with the Spirit, Christian. How sad is that? Is there any other kind of Christian than a real Christian? K.P. Ohanan, guy is the founder of the Gospel for Asia. Wonderful brother. If you get a chance, read his, read his material. He was visiting Nepal not too long ago, and he shared at a, a Bible study that I listened to that he was there and he met some missionaries who were involved in digging freshwater wells for poor communities in Nepal. And they were just doing a great work. It was amazing. And he was blown away just seeing the stuff they did. And KP walked up and he asked the guy who was leading the group, he said, you know, you got such an amazing ministry. You guys must have seen all kinds of people come to Christ. And the guy responded to him and said, oh, uh, we're not really those kinds of missionaries. Really? Is there some other kind than people who preach the gospel of Jesus? I mean, if you can dig wells and preach the gospel, go for it. I'm involved with a ministry that takes doctors and dentists in New Mexico and around the world, different places, Turkey, the Philippines, and we get to go in there. But you know what? Job one, preach the gospel of Jesus Christ to every man, woman, and child. First and foremost. Hey, if we can bless them. We can provide dental care. We can help them. That's awesome. But the priority is the gospel of Jesus Christ. God forbid that we should fix somebody's teeth or heal somebody's body and send them away, and they go to hell forever, having never heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. Reminds me of what Jesus said to Nicodemus in in John 3.10. Jesus says, Are you the teacher of Israel, and you don't know these things? You guys, this is the condition of the church in the United States and the Western world today. There are lots of people like this. Verse 24, he reminds us, Those who run in a race, all of them run, but one receives the prize. Now, honestly, there are people who line up with no thought to exert themselves. And what a tragedy. Because the truth is, there's a cost to that as well. You're going to just go through the motions? You remember the children of Israel coming out of Egypt with Joshua. They're coming into the land of Canaan, crossing over the Jordan River. Well, there were three tribes, Reuben, Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh. They decided to stay on the east side of the Jordan River. It's good land. They thought, well, why stress out our wives and our kids and these flocks? Just leave them over there. The land's great for the flocks, and we'll go over and help our brothers fight, and we'll come back. Well, you know, it's a great idea, but one problem. Many, many, many years later, when the Assyrian Empire came down from the north, they were the very first ones to go into slavery. What do you tell a person that's got one foot in the kingdom and one foot securely anchored in the world? 
and they think you're some kind of freak. What, are you reading your Bible again? Didn't you read it yesterday? My, I mean, haven't you read the whole thing already? What do you keep reading it? Do you want to pray? I mean, we're just going on a trip. Come on, jump in the car. Problem, guys, is that people in our culture here today, it's not always likely that they're going to come in contact with a Christian believer who's really walking in the Spirit of God. There are whole church fellowships, and not, not small ones either, that nobody brings a Bible to the church. They, they, that Bible's in the pews waiting for you. You don't have to have your own Bible. You know, that, that there's not an emphasis upon walking with Christ. There's not an emphasis upon reading the Scripture and practicing the example of Jesus Christ. All these people running around just sort of going through the motions, and I wonder what God thinks of that. And it seems that probably a, a good number of these people don't realize that they're not plugged in. Like Jesus' words to the church of Laodicea in Revelation 3.17 because you say I am rich and have become wealthy and have need of nothing and do not know that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. And they don't know it. C.S. Lewis, in his book, The Screwtape Letters, he says, the safest road to hell is the gradual one. The gentle slope, soft underfoot, without sudden turnings, without milestones, Without signposts, that's where the enemy wants these people. Doesn't want to rattle their cages. Doesn't want to cause them any problems. They say, people say the journey's the thing, and I think there's a lot of truth to that. Certainly the pace that Christ has set for us and his plan for us to follow him are one and the same. Philippians 3.13 says, Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward, to those things which you had, I press towards the goal for the prize of the upward call in Christ Jesus. Paul writes to the church in Corinth, run in such a way that you may obtain it. And what they, he wants us to obtain is the prize, in verse 25. Everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a perishable crown. We, for an imperishable crown. How are you supposed to recognize someone that is following the example of Christ? Dumb question, okay? 1 John 2, 6 says, He who abides in him, in Jesus, ought himself also to walk just as he walked. Just as he walked. Just like the example of Jesus. Not as consistently as he walked, but at least we can hold to the same general direction, the Bible. It's it's unfortunately... This also escapes the understanding of a lot of people. Scary world, you guys. Guy comes in the church. Guy and his girlfriend come in the church. They want to get married. They say, yeah, we'd like to get married. You know, we understand you do weddings and you do premarital counseling. We're really excited. We really like to do that. We know the Lord has plans for our lives. So great. But we have a problem. Okay, well, gosh, what's the problem? Well, it's his wife. She's not a believer and she won't give him a divorce. Really? Guy comes in the church says that he's a gay Christian. When I hear that, I have to ask, does that mean that you're practicing homosexuality? Because if you are in that lifestyle, then you're not a Christian. I have no problem with you having a past. I have a past. You have no problem with believers having struggles in difficult areas. But when those struggles become, I am a practicing 
thief, drug addict, liar, adulterer, homosexual, then you have a problem with the Scripture. If that's your lifestyle that you are continuing in day by day by day. And there's a, I have to tell you about it. I can't bite my lip and just, oh, well, you know, gay Christian, whatever. I have to tell you, I have a responsibility to God. There's a, there's a Latin saying, qui tacit concentriate. It means silence gives consent. Now, if you know where I stand, you know my mind on the issue, then maybe I can be quiet as the Lord leads. But if I even suspect that you imagine that I agree with you, I have got to correct that. I have no choice. Now, to be fair, I don't have to jump up on a table with a megaphone in order to do it. You know, Galatians 6 1 says, Brethren, if a man's overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tied. I need to do it in love, regardless of what the, the problem is. I want to be, you know, if you, when, you, when you exhort people in love, it's amazing how responsive they are, you know? Uh, and sometimes people just don't know. They just don't get it. If you're not a professing Christian, then you're just a sinner like everybody else. God help you come to faith in Jesus. Because he loves you more than anybody ever could. Because when you come to faith in Jesus Christ, verse 25 says, everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. Now, again, this is a metaphor, all right? It's an analogy. We don't really compete for a prize as such. We're saved by grace, unmerited faith, undeserved favor. We don't deserve it. We can't deserve it. Ephesians 2.8 says you're saved by grace. You've been saved through faith and that not of yourself. It is the gift of God. We don't deserve it, can't deserve it. There is nothing we could do that would make us deserving of the salvation God's provided. Well, only if I had, no, no. Well, if I hadn't done all that terrible, no. Don't deserve it, can't deserve it. Nothing we could do that would make us deserving. However, gentlemen, you and I are in the middle of a spiritual war spiritual war taking place all over this world. You hear about people getting shot to death in Santa Barbara. You hear about people dying in horrific situations around the world. Turn on the news. Bodies are stacked up everywhere. When you see those things, that is a place where the spiritual war comes to a head and explodes, causing physical destruction. It's causing spiritual destruction everywhere. And our actions and our attitudes and our motives are very, very important. Even though we aren't earning anything or competing for anything, we are involved in a life and death struggle every single day. And this battle, I got to tell you, is way over our heads. We're not able to stand up to this thing. We have no ability to justify ourselves in the sight of God. We in and of ourselves have no ability to adequately defend ourselves in this conflict. But here's the issue. If we have any expectation of receiving the benefit of all that God has planned for us, then we had better be temperate in all things. The word temperate is a Greek word. (laughs) It's way too long for me to try and say. And if anybody here spoke Greek, I'd be totally embarrassed. So I'm not going to. It means to be self-controlled, to be continent, to be self-governed in conduct, to be disciplined. To be disciplined. Look up discipline in the dictionary sometime. You'll look it up, and there's a little picture of Manny right there in the corner. Um, I, I, I've seen it. It's crazy. Matthew 10.24 says, 
A disciple, a disciple is not above his teacher nor a servant above his master. It's enough for a disciple that he be like his teacher and a servant like his master. And how is a disciple to do this? The answer, through godly discipline. Look at the words. Yes, disciples are disciplined. One one letter difference. That's it. Sure, it's God's ability. He works in us. Philippians 2.13 For it is God who works in you, both to will and to do for His good pleasure. But then look at 2.12, the verse before that in Philippians. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. It's both. It's your effort and God's effort together. And God's effort without your effort is not going to fly. It's not going to happen, guys. What does a a discipline look like? And, I mean, obviously, maybe all different kinds of variables, individual issues that work in the life of a person. But the bottom line is, as we walk in the Lord, we're going to look more and more like Jesus all the time. It's going to resemble the Word of God, Scripture in verse and what we do, how we act. The discipline of God at work in my life is going to take an effect upon me it's going to make me look a little weird in this world. I'm going to look like an alien in this. I'm not going to fit in. Okay? I should look somewhat out of place. Jesus looked way out of place in this world. James 4.4 4 says, Friendship with the world is enmity with God. Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself the enemy of God. Don't do that. You don't want to do that. Now, It's not all about appearances, obviously. Appearances have some significance. They're they're not meaningless. But the issue, as I'm pursuing this life as a follower of Jesus, He is going to show up in my life. He's going to influence the influence of the world in my life. It's going to disappear piece by piece, day by day by day. Maybe never fast enough as I would like. It seems like, you know, we're always waiting for God to do something. I'm really kind of concerned that when we, when we go to be with the Lord, we're going to sit down with him and find out that actually he was waiting for us the whole time, you know, that we thought we were waiting for him. It wasn't the way it was. We need to be temperate in all things. And in this process, we realize that there is a reason, a really good reason. It says of this athlete in, in the last part of verse 25, they do it to obtain a perishable crown. We for one that's imperishable. Now, in in Paul's days, the victorious athletes at these games, the Olympics and the other games in Corinth, they would be rewarded with like this laurel thing. You've probably seen statues, Greek statues, the guy with the leafy thing around his head, sort of like a crown. And just some little twisted branches with leaves on them. And they had other benefits too. Some of the winners were made tax-free for life. Probably a great thing, I'm sure. But if you think about it, Serious athletes push themselves to the point of doing physical harm to their bodies in order to excel in their particular discipline. Writer of Hebrews says, you have not yet resisted to bloodshed in striving against sin. And that's, that's an accusation against us, honestly. In the 1980s, basketball star Irvin Magic Johnson signed a contract that paid him an outrageous $1 million a year for 25 years. Maybe some of you old guys remember that. Getting close to the end of that contract in 2005, Shaquille O'Neal signed a contract that paid him $29 million for one year's work. Talk about inflation. That's pretty scary. 
How much is enough? And how much do you need? Honestly, I don't begrudge people making lots and lots of money. I mean, Jerry Seinfeld made over $200 million one year selling the rights to his TV series. You know, and for all the good that it will do these people, more power to them. Let me tell you something. It is a very, very difficult thing to do good with money. I'm sure you think you could do it. I'm sure you think, you know, everybody else here tonight, probably not be a good thing for them to win the lottery. But you, you could handle it. You, you, you know, you've got that sensibility. You could do it. Everybody else know how, why? Have you ever thought, why is it that I am always the exception to the rule? I want you to think about that. Difficult thing to do good with money. If you ever get a chance, talk to somebody with money and they'll tell you their tale of woe. Money is a lot of trouble. Michael Jordan, since we're talking about basketball stars. Michael Jordan played basketball 16, 17 years. You know, wound up with the Wizards. Made a lot of money. Made a whole lot of money. Some guys kidnapped his father and murdered him. They wanted some of that money. Chris Paul's grandfather was murdered for money. Maybe you should ask those guys about the value of a dollar. They might have a different perspective than most other people. The benefits of this world are perishable, is what it tells us here. They are fading fast. Some in this world you want, is there something that, I'm not talking about the body of Christ or the kingdom of God, something in the world that you want, I want you to ask yourself a couple of questions. First, what is it going to cost you? Secondly, how long are you going to be able to keep it? And thirdly, is it going to be worth it? Our situation in the world is very different than these people. God has made some promises to us concerning his plans for our future. We've been promised an inheritance. 1 Peter 1.4 says, An inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. Not for everybody. Reserved in heaven for you. Very important. Psalm 1611 says, You will show me the path of life in your presence is the fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. 2 Timothy 4.8, Paul says of himself, Finally, there's laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day, and not only me, but all who have loved his appearing. Colossians 3.4, When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. 2 Corinthians 4.17, Our light affliction is but for a moment, working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. The prize in verse 25. To receive this prize, gentlemen, we've got to have a plan. We've got to have a plan. Verse 26, Paul writes, Therefore I run thus, not with uncertainty. I fight, not as one who beats the air. People... Christians, honestly, like things to be spontaneous, you know. Their whole church is where they show up. They don't know how the service is going to go until they get there and they pray. And they just kind of do whatever they feel like God wants them to do at the moment. You know, and and I understand why people feel like that's a more spiritual thing to do. And I mean, hey, if I'm going the wrong direction, I want the Holy Spirit to spontaneously stop me and point me in the right direction. I'm all over that. That's very encouraging. 
But we need to understand that planning and preparation are things that we can do, things the Lord allows us to do. And when something is important to us, like our relationship with Christ, having a connection to the Almighty God who created us, we need to spend some time planning and preparing. Things like serving God's people, very important. There is no reason to think that the Lord cannot inspire the process of planning and preparation and bless our efforts. It is unbiblical to rely on spontaneous supernatural direction from the Lord to the exclusion of normal everyday planning and preparation. When we plan and prepare for God's purpose, we allow the Spirit to do what He does best, and that is reveal the glory of God through us. And even in spite of our efforts, God knows who we are, man. He knows that we're not up to the challenge and we need his help. The Corinthians actually accused Paul of not planning with God's help in 2 Corinthians 1.17. And he answers them. He says, therefore, when I was planning this, did I do it lightly or the things I plan? Do I plan according to the flesh that with me there should be both yes, yes and no, no. But as God is faithful, our word to you was not yes and no. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who is preached among you, by us, by me, Silas and Timothy, was not yes and no, but in him is yes, for all the promises of God in him are yes and amen to the glory of God through us. Planning is important. Planning without the Lord is an accident looking for a place to happen. Psalm 127, verse 1 says, Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. Plan as best you can, but let your confidence rest in the Lord. Again, that verse we read earlier from James chapter 4. Come now, you who say tomorrow, today or tomorrow, we will go to such a city and spend a year there, buy and sell and make a profit. Whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow. For what is your life? It's even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't even lean on your own understanding. Proverbs 3, 5. Planning lies with men. Success lies with with heaven. Smart guy said that. One of our problems is that we're not always that well qualified to tell a victory from a defeat. Okay? For instance, you have a car accident. Oh man, defeat. It's a defeat. I had a car accident. Get the check from the insurance company, go out and buy a new car. Hey, it's a victory. What what happened, man? God just turned my defeat into a... He does that all the time. He does. I mean, you think about King David... In 1 Samuel chapter 30, he's at Ziklag. City's been burned. He's laying in the ashes, crying his heart out. His whole family's been kidnapped. Defeat or victory? Honestly, greatest opportunity of the guy's life right at that moment. He's going to turn it around in a couple of weeks. He's going to be the king of Israel. Greatest opportunity of his life. Would I see that? No way. I, I, you know, life is over. Give it up. No hope here. 1 Corinthians 16.9 says... Paul says, a great and effective door has been opened to me. And there are many adversaries. Memorize that verse, you guys. A great and effective door has been opened to me, and there are many adversaries. The work of God is always opposed. Always. But he's promised, Romans 8, 28. We know that all things work together for the good. To those who love God, those who are called according to his purpose. We have his word on it, but not the last word. God loves hard work, guys. 
Psalm 128.2 says, When you eat of the labor of your hands, you'll be happy and it'll be well with you. Proverbs 12.24, The hand of the diligent will rule, but the lazy man will be put to forced labor. God loves hard work. Are you a Christian? You want to grow in the Lord? People that really want to grow as believers have a plan. People that want to experience greater revealing of God's promises in their lives, they have goals. They don't run with uncertainty. They don't fight like one who beats the air. A great many people make claims regarding their desire to walk with Christ. It goes without saying, hey, we all stumble in all kinds of ways. We're a bunch of failures. However, if you observe the life and practice of a person, you're going to see what's important to them. They may not see it. They may be fooling themselves. But if you watch somebody, you're going to see what's important. And you see, if somebody, if walking with Christ is important to a man, you are going to see that in the way they conduct themselves, what they do, where they go, what they say, how they think. You're going to see it. You want God to bless your efforts? Plan your work. You want to see the fruit of your labor? Work your plan. And the Lord will show you favor. The point, verse 27. Point here is that this cannot simply be theoretical speculation. Time is short for all of us, guys. This has to be personal application for my life in the most practical sense. It cannot be my pastime of observing and criticizing the lives of other people. The lives of other people are not my business. You know, what they do, what they don't do to observe them and, you know, be a judge over the lives of other people. Not what God has called me to. I'm nobody's Holy Spirit. In verse 27, the apostle writes about himself personally. He says, I discipline my body and bring it into subjection, lest when I preach to others, I myself should become disqualified. And there are really four issues in this last verse. First, he says, I discipline my body. Wise man once told me, God will not do for you what you should do yourself. God will bless and participate in the discipline of your life as you have surrendered the areas of your life to him, put him in his hands. But I have to surrender the areas of my life to the Lord. Every week, every month, every day, every hour, sometimes minute by minute. No support group, no accountability circle, no fellowship encounter will hold me responsible to do the right thing in an area of my life that I have not surrendered entirely to the Lord. Even God's discipline in my life, which I should embrace, right? really intended to lead me to the place where I can discipline myself to keep his word one day at a time. The phrase here for discipline is pretty crazy, okay? The words actually mean in the Greek language, the word discipline in the Greek language means to beat my face black and blue in the area underneath my eyes. That is exactly and specifically what it means. Paul is saying, I give myself black eyes to keep my body in line. He's not messing around. Secondly, to bring it into subjection. Necessary. The idea here, to whatever length necessary, I will go to bring myself into subjection to the Lord. And like the Lord, the apostle here, he's looking at the end result, the, the end of the line. You know, Ephesians says of us that God has blessed us with all 
spiritual blessings in heavenly places. Really? I ain't seeing that. But he sees it because he's looking at it with the eyes of faith. And what he's looking at here is bringing things into subjection. The end result, the purpose of what God's intended. It would be nice if we didn't sin. I mean, it would be great. That's not my experience for myself or people that I know. If that were the case, you know, if you accepted Christ as your personal Lord and Savior and then you just never made any more mistakes, I got a suspicion there wouldn't be a lot of humility in the church. You know, and as it, as it happens, we should be humility central. First John, actually writing to believers in 1 John 1.8, he says, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. So we are sinners, guys. Sinners saved by grace. But we're not content to remain that way. We're, we're not content to remain that way. We're in the process of bringing ourselves into subjection, like every other area of our, our lives being transformed into the image of Jesus Christ. And that's the key. The third part here, he says, lest when I preach to others, and the point is, Paul is a chosen vessel of God. That's what the Lord tells Ananias in Damascus the day he gets saved. Paul is a chosen vessel. It's interesting, the example used here, because I have to tell you, having been used by God in one way or another is no guarantee that a person has the inside track on life in Christ, okay? Just because somebody stands up in front of a room and the light shines on them and they're talking through some kind of amplified device does not mean that they are in their personal life the example that they need to be. And this is why even though we go to church like the scripture tells us to and we are committed to serving God at a particular fellowship, we do not follow people. We do not follow people. Listen to the words of Jesus in Matthew 23, 8. But you do not be called rabbi, for one is your teacher, the Christ, and you are all brethren. Do not call anyone on earth father, for one is your father, he who is in heaven. Do not be called teachers, for one is your teacher, the Christ. But he who is greatest among you shall be your servant. This is what Paul wanted for the church in Corinth, guys, for them to follow Jesus. 2 Corinthians 4, 5, listen to what he says. For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your bondservants for Jesus' sake. That's the deal. So the people who stand up in front, the people who help and give direction, with people who read the Word of God to you and preach the Word of God to you, they are to be ministers, servants, the people who serve. And if they're not, then something's wrong. Before you were a Christian, you did something really bad. Did you feel bad? Maybe some of you. After receiving Christ, things change pretty dramatically. Sin becomes a big deal. Oh my gosh, I can't believe I did that. Because you understand. You understand what's going on. You understand what's involved. Jesus died on the cross for that sin. And then, of course, there's the issue of being an example to others. And, I mean, for myself, God has always known that I'm a loser. (laughs) There are some people out there that might be surprised. I'd hate to disappoint them. But the more... God uses you one way or another, your failures become larger and larger because you should know better. 
you should know better. You know, you know this stuff. You know, and you really, in some kind of a weird sense, you put a weapon in the hand of the the enemy. So when you drop the ball, he just comes out. You're supposed to be a Christian. Of course, you never heard that before, right? Yeah. You guys, if you're going to serve the Lord, you have got to be as serious as the grave. You got to rise up every morning if you sleep, step into the middle of a war zone, trying to navigate your way through the failures of men and your own failures as well. You better be praying. Imagine what it would be like being an apostle. Now, people look at you and say, hey, see that guy? He was with Jesus. Heaven forbid you ever make a mistake or do something wrong, you know? James 3.1 says, My brethren, be not many teachers, knowing that we shall all receive a stricter judgment. And i got to tell you, I'm not exactly sure what that means, but I have this suspicion that I'm going to find out. Finally, he says, the last part of verse 27 there, Lest when we preach to others, I myself should become disqualified. You know, I was reading this passage the other day, and it occurred to me that Paul, for Paul to write this down, it was something that was a real concern to him. For him to actually put it down on paper, he thought about it in his life. Sure, he's exhorting the church. He's encouraging the Corinthians about their lives. But don't kid yourself. He's preaching to himself as well. He knew that this was something that could actually happen. And when he says disqualified, he's not talking about being disqualified from ministry. The contrast is between him preaching the gospel to those who receive the truth and to him, the preacher, not having the truth. The word, the Greek word is adakimos, reprobate, cast away, rejected. It's pretty clear what he means. Even the doctors of eternal security, people that claim that once you're saved, you can't lose your salvation. When a person's life spins out of control and it's pretty obvious they're heading in the wrong direction, they want nothing to do with God or Jesus or the Bible, their response at that point is, oh, well, that guy, well, he was never saved. Really? Is that so? Is that why we have all these warnings in Scripture? We don't wish such a thing upon any person. The problem is, I can't walk for anyone but me. I can encourage. I can be a good example. God help me. I can pray. I can share the scripture. I can fast and pray. But the bottom line, I can only discipline my life. I can only surrender myself and the eternity of another person between them and the Lord and time. Benjamin Franklin says, lost time, never found again. Romans 13:11 says, it is high time for us to awake out of sleep. For now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. Time for us to follow at God's pace, to be willing to expend ourselves in the pursuit of God's purpose for the prize where he hopes for us to arrive according to the mystery of the ages, according to his plan, the way that we intend to get there with his providence and his blessing to the point to abide in Christ to be useful to him and to the body of believers for as many days as we've got. Proverbs 23, 23 says, Buy the truth and do not sell it. And also wisdom and instruction and understanding. Buy the truth. Purchase the truth. You know, a lot of people seem to think they got this idea that the truth is free. 
And I think you'll find that the truth costs God more than you can imagine. And if you want to own it, it's going to cost you too. But it's worth it. It's worth everything. Psalm 111 verse 10 says, Fear the Lord. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. A good understanding have all those who do his commandments. God help us. Father, we thank you, Lord, for being here with us today, for, Lord, your grace, your undeserved favor upon our lives. Father, for your word and the way, Lord, that you're able to speak to your children far and near. And, Lord, as we're praying together right now, and everyone's eyes closed and heads bowed, if there's one person here who doesn't know Jesus as their personal Lord and Savior, and if God has spoken to you and you have a desire to give your life to Christ, I'm going to pray a prayer. Just say a few simple words. And if you want to surrender your life into the hands of Jesus, repeat these words after me and God will take you at your word and he will begin inside of you some amazing things you could never do yourself. Father, I believe Jesus died for me on the cross. I believe he rose from the dead. Forgive me for all of my sins. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. And Lord, change my life. I believe in Jesus Christ. And I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, you guys, so much for letting me come out and share. I don't think anybody fell asleep. Kind of amazed. Thanks, bro. That was a good word, huh? Now, we were all challenged. You know, I mean, only the Lord knows your hearts. Only the Lord knows my heart. But sometimes when you're in the back of the room, you see things and you see body languages and you're like, ah, 